Oh boy, Dan, welcome to your show. <laughs> Thank you. Joe. Welcome to my show as well. Thank you. Thanks for being here today. My pleasure. Two episodes ago, I came charging in with hot takes, and then I hated it so much I didn't release it. <laughs> Last time, I was so-so, and then I thought we had a pretty good combo. This week, I'm kind of I'm I'm I what I do what, what it is now is I can't take any more homework movies. Yeah, I don't care how good they are or what the buzz is. I can't be told that I have to see anything more. I overdid it. I'm sure I will see everything, but I just feel like no. So yeah, great place to be in December when all the too many big movies. As far as I recall, I have three three new titles, maybe four. Did you see Encanto? Or do you have any interest in Encanto? Um, I didn't see Encanto. I think we've got... So you saw Encanto. I saw Encanto. I can quickly... All right. And we, we also have Come On, Come On, right? Yeah, if you if you saw it. That'd be, yeah. I saw it last night. I uh, uh, took a special fresh. trip to the theater late on a Sunday. I'm betting... I don't want to get ahead of us, but I'm betting you don't regret that. Um, No, I don't regret it. <laughs> good, good. Don't regret it. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So that's even more than I was thinking. Cause I also have, of course we have, um, tick, tick, boom, house of Gucci, power of the dog. I also have the night house and Julia. Oh, I have but... Julia too. I didn't catch the night house, even though I promised I would. That's okay. That's a streaming catch up. We can do that. Another, we have too many. Yeah, I'll, to- I'll totally do that. It's worth it. Uh, I think. So, with all of this, all this new stuff, prestigious new stuff, where do we start? Want me to just get Encanto out of the way? Yeah, go for it. It's fine. It's a Disney movie. <laughs> fine. Did you uh, love it? Uh, my daughter loved it, and I loved her loving it. And I didn't hate it. It's very entertaining. It's extremely lush and well animated. Here's the problem. And it's a me problem. I don't think it's a, a, any more than that. The film is fine. Uh, the songs are, are fine. She, um, sorry, message is coming on my phone. Uh, who, yeah, Lynn, Lynn Manuel writing the songs, of course, because I guess he has to do that all the time now. They're good. There's some interesting characters and some things. But the, the fundamental issue with Disney movies now is I'm glad they're not doing old world, you know, European folk tales about where you have to end up murdering the bad guy and that's how you fix the problems and then everybody's happy. I'm glad that they're more nuanced. I'm glad that they're, they have, you know, different conflicts and whatever, but they got to figure out how to make it exciting and how to have like a wrap up that's not all just in inner emotional breakthroughs of characters because it totally like loses the kids the movies are too long and convoluted I think Frozen is a worse offender than Encanto actually but so it's this movie about this family that lives in a magic house in Colombia and everybody has magic powers except for uh, I think her name's Marisol Uh, no that's not right it's something like that though Um, and she doesn't have her powers and it's she feels bad about it and then she finds out that the power is in her and love and all that stuff and it's really great and fun it just doesn't it doesn't feel like it lands somewhere it feels very convoluted and sweaty by the end remember but, captain planet yeah they how they had the rings and you get like earth fire wind and water and then that one sap just got heart <laughs> yeah it's just heart oh right man. Well, that's, uh, and I'm going to get her name right now. It's Mirabelle. That Mirabelle, sorry, Mirabelle. 
Mm. Uh, played by Stephanie Beatriz from um, lots of things in the Heights, Book of Nine Nine. It's also got uh, Mauro Castillo. It's got John Leguizamo. It's got Jessica Daro. It's got uh, people. It's it's good. The end. Sounds great. Yeah, I don't mean to oversell it, but it's out there and it's fine. So yeah. Well, come on, come on is probably the the at this point the oldest thing we have to talk about. So, I'll talk about it. All right, great. Come on, come on. It's a 2021 American black and white drama film, not just any drama <laughs> no. film, a black and white drama film. Written and directed by Mike Mills. Have you read up on what his inspiration was for this? I feel like I did, but I forgot it. I don't know what it is at all. And I was just okay. curious about that mm-hmm. as I was watching it because I felt like if this isn't documentary or at least closely trying to depict a point in the writer's life, this is very specific material. Right. Where we've got Joaquin Phoenix playing Johnny and his job is to go around and record interviews with youth around the country about their hopes or dreams for the future or lack thereof. And along the way, his sister Viv played by Gabby Hoffman needs someone to look after her son, Jesse played by Woody Norman, a quite a pleasing child actor because she's trying to help her estranged husband, Paul, who has a lot of mental health issues um, get checked into a facility that can help him. And this visit ends up being protracted and Johnny needs to take Jesse out on the road with him to continue this interview work. And so we have these interviews that are going on that are interpolated into the story that's unfolding um, where Johnny and Jesse are getting to know each other, getting to trust one another. Um, There's a lot of truth that's spoken about uh, family trauma and a lot, lot of truth all, all over this movie. Um, what, what, what was your takeaway uh, of uh, Come On, Come On? Yeah, so I went in pretty cold. There's lots of avuncular praise on Twitter and people talking about Mike Mills in you know reverent tones. This first film of his that I've seen. Uh, so I didn't know what much. I'd seen the trailer and thought it looked interesting. So I just kind of got caught up in it and experienced it. And it's one of those movies mm-hmm. that is is has its own for be- lack of a better word realism it has a reality of its own it plays out you know in a cinematic kind of verite real life kind of a feeling it does not dramatic things happen but they're very muted and realistic in the way you experience things it's um it you know it doesn't hold your hand it gives you flashes of moments so my i didn't know a lot going in uh, i just knew that it looked lovely and intriguing and i found it to be winning i found it to be very um yeah as you say the the kid is excellent uh joaquin phoenix it's a very interesting turn from him where he's not doing his usual like tortured method thing he's playing a dude Mm -hmm. um it's very quiet i like the themes you know that i have this weird thing about kids in film um where i just i i my emotional uh affectedness is like intensified when a movie is about younger children and uh this didn't really activate that very much maybe because it felt more real and less intense it just felt 
you know, like this kid's going through some stuff, but you kind of get the sense that this is what it's like to be a kid going through very modern types of uh, challenges like this. And I, I, yeah. Yeah. And he's being raised in such an emotionally intelligent way Mm -hmm. that you can feel for him for what's going on, but you don't feel um, a powerlessness or a trauma is overtaking him like you do in some stories about kids. Right, right. And I also, having a 10-year-old, it's right about in that sweet spot. So I think he's nine in the movie, but mm-hmm. um, it just, a lot of it was very familiar. I mean, he's a peculiar, unique, singular kind of a character, the kid. But there's some things just about if you have a smart you know, 10-year-old who likes to read and is creative and will make up kind of do bits, you know, to in order to deal with things emotionally, that was all very familiar to me. Yeah, I felt like this movie was a mood it was short on story on purpose, and I liked that about it. I I was taken with the scene when they're in the market when the kid gets lost the first time, mm-hmm. that he's texting with his sister about some real heavy, real-life stuff, and what's going on in front of you is casually walking through this New York City market, right? Mm-hmm. And there was something that was profound in that to me that I feel like ran through this whole piece of the idea that real life is happening apart from the real life you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Like they're wa- the, re- the reality is they're walking through this market, but the real emotional thing is what's going on with this um, brother-in-law, father so far right. away. And that's happening electronically. Right. And I thought like there's this thing that there's electronic capture of all of these kids stories like that's what his whole job is is capturing it electronically and yet then there's this real life thing of him and the kid navigating life together um and that isn't really captured but but then it's going to be that's kind of the point of the whole movie that he wants to capture it so that the kid remembers um i didn't understand the title i mean i understand that mm-hmm. the title was said a few times by by the kid, but it it felt more like uh, brain garbage than something meaningful. What did you take away from it? Yeah, so it's been you you saw it last night, so it's a few weeks for me, and so I'm I'm reaching back, and I remember it's at the end, and it has to kind of do with a description of what life feels like, right? And it's kind of like, come on, come on, come on, right? Like, like that's that's the kid's line, right? right? He's just like, and I'm just yeah. here, and then like, come on, come on, come on. But I wasn't sure what that come on, come on was really referencing. Yeah, I think I took it as the feeling of just, I mean, especially when you're a kid, more so when you're a kid than any other time in life, because you get better at doing this, not because you don't have to do it anymore, but you have to just wait for life to turn out. And there's never done. And there's always another thing. And so I don't know if that's that feeling of just kind of like you, things that are out of your control, you, you're, you're, you know, you're, completely helpless to to move them onto a conclusion so you're just kind of impatient uh-huh. existing maybe kind of a i don't know yeah it's it's this whole movie to me feels like an artistic capturing of like a moment in modern life and not so much an interpretation whereas like eighth grade or something like that feels like right. it has something to say uh, and, and it's also excellent, but I feel like this is a little more poetic where it's just kind of like, let's just, you know, paint with cinematic brush, a little taste of what this life is like, and maybe tie a few things together 
um, like the perspectives of the children and then the, the specific point of view of this one kid. But yeah, I don't know that I have thematic uh, in, interpretation of the, of the movie. Yeah. And like, it's very, very cinematic, right? I felt like it was as mm-hmm. much cinema watching cityscapes and watching them walk through it and hearing the voiceovers of the interviews. And I, I could totally go with that vibe. I liked the soundtrack. And for that reason, though, my really only critique of the movie is that I wish it were just a little bit shorter. Mm-hmm. I wish mm-hmm. I wish that the part that was story was just a little bit tighter because I found myself and it might have just been the time of night, too, but mm-hmm. like ready for it to be over. And I feel right. like if it had been 20 minutes shorter, I wouldn't have felt that way. Yeah. And you, and I like the material in New Orleans. I like that a lot. Yeah. But it does feel like a n- whole nother journey when you've kind of taken a journey with the characters already. Uh, yeah. So I don't know if cutting that whole thing out is the answer. But yeah, I can see what you mean. I would probably tr- trim it a little bit. Yeah, I feel like we we didn't really get to know, not like we needed really to get to know, the um, other people who were kind of film crew with them. Right. Or audio right. crew. I guess it wasn't a film. But they all just kind of seemed very surfacey, like nice millennials who right. come alongside to assist. Mm-hmm. And they're just endlessly available and they laugh at tables and stuff. Um, yeah. Right. I, I was I was kind of curious about their characters, who they were and. Right, because there's a lady who hosts them in New Orleans, and at first I thought maybe she was just a host, like she just you know, volunteered to let people. But then she turns out she's somewhat involved as well in the production. So right, there's no yeah, there is no explanation of that. That might also be a perspective thing of like when you're a kid, you don't always get to know you know what things just happen, and you kind of have to go along with it. Um, right. So maybe that's a choice, but yeah. Well, that's then that's interesting too. Like, are we watching through the kids' eyes? I would I would argue we aren't. No, certainly not always. Yeah, there's lots of of uh, Johnny's perspective, right? And and kind of like ne- omniscient perspective on the flashes to what happened to you know their mother and him and the sister arguing and that kind of stuff. Although that could be kid perspective too, I guess. And often in movies, I find myself kind of incredulous at characters decisions or behavior and thinking, well, why did they do that? Why, why would this, why did the person choose to make that happen? And I never felt that way in this movie. It was very yeah. human and true um, to what I think real people in these situations would say and do. And to the, to the extent of dinner table fooling around mm-hmm. and how, how many times does a movie get stuff like that so not like specific to me but just in a way that feels so real and familiar i was sitting there i mean because to a fault the screenplay is good where i was feeling like what in the world could this screenplay have been saying to describe what i'm watching right right now How, how how could you write this in a way that made sense that you could shoot this and i think the answer is you can't i think the writer needs to be the director right and that means that he rehearsed like to the point of rapport with three separate, at least three separate adult actors, the the dad, the the mom and and Joaquin Phoenix, where he interacts with them all in a specific way to that relationship. And they have like silly little routines and things that just feel so real. That kid is amazing. Yeah. Uh, Woody something or other lost his name. Woody Norman. Um, Yeah. So yeah, I don't know that it was like, 
it did make it. I just did my top 10 this week, by the way, and I believe this did make it. But I, I don't know if it's like a top best film. It's just so excellent. It's just one of those. I kind of feel that way about another film on our list this week, but I think I might like that one a little better. You do your top 10 list way too early. Sorry. As soon as I see them, I'm like, oh, I got to do that. And then it's, it's totally fluid. I will change it. Sure. I'm saying but there's major titles we haven't seen yet. I suppose. Yeah. Anyway, I'm glad right. that you did your list and it's very <laughs> good. Right. We'll talk about them in a few weeks. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, sure. All right. That's that. Um, well, I want you to talk about tick boom just because you'll have the words for just even what it is so shall i break it up now by talking about gucci or did <laughs> yeah. you want to do that uh, well i mean i know you want to do that one that was kind I of the mean, one that you enjoyed the most <laughs> yeah it's, it was a special time at the movies yeah well but i was looking forward to it i want i didn't think it was going to be great i thought it was going to be trashy and fun and it turns out as you warned me it was one of those two things yeah um, so House of Gucci is a 2021 American biographical crime drama mm. directed by Ridley Scott. He always does multiple movies a year, sometimes two of them almost at the same moment. And one of them's usually great and one of them's usually lousy. And apparently from what people say, The Last Duel is the one that's great. Yeah, I that need to catch up on Last Duel. I missed it and it looked I, wa- I want to see it now. Honestly, yeah. Between the two trailers, this is the one that I wanted to see. The other oh, one felt for like sure, movie. for sure. But people say that that one is is not to be slept on. So mm-hmm. I'm going to catch up with it when I can. Uh, so this is, of course, the film that follows Patrizia Reggiani, God. played by Lady Gaga, and Maurizio Gucci. I should do like 18 different types of Italian accents in this review just to to, to right. I understand that they spent a good month doing accent tutelage with the super mario brothers and then oh yes of course right that's gonna say and then got head injuries but yes with the super mario brothers uh played by adam driver as their romance transforms into a fight for control of the italian fashion brand gucci so what i was anticipating was a crime family family organized crime drama in the fashion world with all the uh you know the torrid ins and outs of the gucci family tearing itself apart and i suppose in a superficial way that's what's going on here but man we'll get to all the bonkers stuff on the surface but just talking about a movie just talking about a story i feel like this could not have been less successful as a telling of that story Mm -mm. Every scene was just landed like a thud. Every scene didn't work and things that should be. There's a scene late, late in the movie where Al Pacino, we'll talk about who plays what in a moment, I guess, but Al Pacino, something terrible happens. He goes, no, no. <laughs> and it felt like dailies. It felt like bad dailies that you'd be like, okay, don't use that. And he's a great actor, but I feel like there was very little directing going on here or something, or they thought because we have Jared Leto and Al Pacino in a room, step back, let him, let him go. And mistake uh so yeah we've got we have jared leto in uh you know wacky costume with a bald cap we have jeremy iron salma hayek al pacino playing various members of the gucci family or in hayek's case playing a tv uh psychic who gets uh involved via patrizia um yeah this is just you know uh the ambitious 
gold digging villain, you know, worms her way into the Gucci family and then brings them down from the inside. But it's not that clear cut. And that's fine because reality isn't. But this movie just never feels like it's anywhere close to reality. There's a moment early in the movie. We talked a lot about this. We messaged already a lot about this movie, mm-hmm. Dan, but I, I didn't. I, I saved this for the show. There's a thing early on where Jeremy Irons is meeting Patrizia at a dinner. It's Adam Driver, Jeremy Irons, and Lady Gaga. And I assume because they're in Tuscany and this is an Italian story, that even though the actors are speaking English with three different Italian accents, mm-hmm. they're supposed to be speaking Italian. Right. Where it's just cinema language that, you know, so that we right. can understand them. And Jeremy Irons says, uh, I am how you say excited or something like right. that. He says how you say. Now right. that's an amateur level Italian accent. Right. Was that in the script? Was somebody there to say maybe don't say how you say? Why in the world would he have improvised it? Right. It's like saying mamma mia or something. Right. Like... <laughs> right. I had a I had a major issue with that too because I feel like if the movie's supposed to be in Italian then put it in Italian. Or if we're going to be like, okay, of course this is happening in Italy, but we want to, we want the people to speak English because we're releasing this in America, um, then ditch the accents. Right. Right. And, you know, and, or be subtle, but that's that never. No, we had like Bor- had Boris and Natasha made an appearance. Right. I, I mean, it, it was, it was real bad. Yeah, they could have subtitled it, and then there's enough, you know, they come to the States eventually, so you'd have every opportunity to ease off. Some movies do that, where they give you the original language for a while, and then they, right. they back off, they find an excuse, whatever. But yeah, it's just, uh, the romance between Adam Driver and Lady Gaga, which is the first act of the movie, I don't understand what Adam Driver's doing. He's, you know, maybe he's the great actor of our generation or whatever, or of his generation, and I this is the first, maybe the first time that I don't know what he's doing. Um and you saw and, Annette. And I saw Annette. <laughs> I knew what he was doing there. I just couldn't believe it. Um, they love each other <laughs> so much. Right. But that but the screenplay just wanted us to know that they didn't right. give any content to right. why they liked each other. Uh, I hope I hope that she was they were good. Yeah. I hoped that she wasn't just a gold digger. You kind of wanted to root for her in the beginning. Yeah. But I guess then she just was. Yeah. But then, interestingly enough, I expected a story where, and again, you can't change reality, but sure you can. It's a movie. Uh, I expected her to be, you know, there's some question at first. It seems like they're really in love because they get married while he's disowned. So she mustn't be after the money. And then, of course, she figures out a way, or it's not really her, it's Al Pacino's character, his uncle, pulls him back into the family and everything works out so that she's essentially through Adam Driver manipulating everything. But then he smarts up and kicks her out. So that's it. And then she's very pathetic and kind of, you know, showing up weepy at his door of his building and, and trying to like beg him to come back to his family. So there was no real time in the movie when she, like she barely was at the top of the food chain before it just, and, and he did not play a compelling kingpin once it was him in charge of the whole family. It was boring at that point. I don't know. It was weird. No scene opens with, so do you think you'll pass the bar soon? Right. That isn't a natural part of a conversation. No the one has ever said so that. so inept. Oh, the script very is bad awful. Script. Jared Leto and, and Al Pacino 
are both like kings of bonkers over the top performances, but they have to be directed and there has to be something going on. There has to be a script. So these, I was embarrassed for both of these guys. I was embarrassed for everybody, mm-hmm. but especially the two guys that were going the biggest because it really is like, it sticks out when it's not well directed or written. And it just, I, that's just my thing with this whole movie. Yeah. I wish it would have been camp and fun and it was not the only time that it kind of hit a little few of those notes was uh, my favorite actor in the movie, Salma Hayek, Mm -hmm. who brought some real humor and irony to that role. And then what was that scene where Gaga and Hayek show up on their hogs? Like it's (laughs) Thelma and Louise. Yeah. Like they're in a motorcycle gang. Like things just got more and more laughable. Right. And then behind the scenes, I saw that uh, the real Reggiani was upset that Lady Gaga wouldn't even meet with her for her characterization. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, why wouldn't she want to see you? Certainly not because you're a dangerous murderer. Right. <laughs> you right. know? Yeah. She um, continues to receive alimony. Yeah. And, you know, she's out of prison living her best life. Wow. And here's. Maybe she was just quite mad, but what motivated her to murder him? Right. And the the movie would have you think it's simply because she's so heartsick. Uh, and, I, and then, yeah, I guess the payoff for her cinematically is she gets to march back into the house. But then uh, this, for a movie that's two hours and 40 minutes or whatever's going on here, mm-hmm. it sure has a lot of big skips and a lot of like gaps. So she gets one moment to go in and and kick out his new wife and be, you know, one brief scene of being on Mm -hmm. top after having him killed. And it literally cuts to the courtroom where she's sentenced to prison. Right. I didn't even realize that she was a defendant in the case. Right. So inept was the storytelling there. And there's so much of that throughout the whole movie where it's like, okay, this is a big, I mean, we have a cinematic language of these crime movies anyway that you could play with. Mm-hmm. But I feel like again and again and again, this movie didn't give me anything to go on, but it wasn't like a sophisticated movie that was expecting me to just catch up. It was giving me cartoon accents and terrible uh, characterizations. And then it also was not telling the story in a competent way. No, there were there were major things I thought, major problems with time and place, where I thought that they were traveling in New York and then suddenly the look was like they were in Tuscany, but I guess they were still in the States. Yeah. Where I, I didn't know where the scene was even taking place. Right. <laughs> yeah. However, I would say it looked good. Like I like the yeah. I like the look. I like how there was snow falling sometimes. I thought that snow looked right. cool. Yes. Yeah. You you gotta love the clothes and the decor and, mm-hmm. and all of that. Um but that's all like even some of the way the camera moved and it was like shaky and I didn't understand what that meant. Yeah. Yeah. Ridley Scott can do it when he shows up. I don't right. know what determines what films he shows up for or not. You've but. got a legendary director at the helm that like yeah. those aren't accidents of amateurs. Mm-hmm. The fact that the camera was being held in that weird way, that was a deliberate choice, but mm-hmm. to what purpose? And uh, I'm, just about out of things to say about this movie, but I guess we should mention the sex scene. 
Oh yeah. Early on when we're supposed to be swept up in the, you know, the, the whirlwind romance of these two characters. Um, after they're already married though. Right. So it's not even like a, uh, torrid thing. It's just, no, it, love I, each other so much. I, what didn't they cut to the wedding after that sex scene? Oh, maybe, maybe that was like the break in a very inappropriate kind of way. Yet. Yeah. Right. And like, you're needed in the trailer, right. you know, yeah. like as if you're just announcing this to the whole company. And it's like this ugly, like fake wood paneled trailer and they have to sweep the coffee cups off of the table. Yeah, well, that, there was like a tower of coffee cups <laughs> that he like set her down on. Right. It was the most awkward, adolescent, awful And then they do scene. like showgirls style. Right. And it, but it just isn't even that. Showgirls fun. is more competent than this movie, yeah, frankly. For sure. Showgirls, you can understand and laugh at the at the camp and the excess. This is trying to be serious from all, you know, right. from all clues were given. Yes. And it fails and, miserably. So speaking of uh, Showgirls and as we, I guess, transition away from House of Gucci, which sucks and not in a fun way. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Are, is Benedetta on your radar? Oh, I can't wait. I already, I'm already saying that I'm sick, getting sick of homework movies, but I mean, I saw that's that a homework movie. I was like, no, but I just mean like, I'm just done of I'm sick of, of new movies. I've there's too many new movies. I can't keep up. So you're sick of new movies. But that one, I <laughs> there's too many. I've started going two or three times a week to the theater, and that uh, is fun and cool. But it's also it's also Christmas, so the malls that I mm-hmm. the theaters I go to are mobbed, and I'm not enjoying it so much. But uh, especially when the movies are House of Gucci and. Uh, I guess that's the worst one I've seen lately. Well, I didn't dislike my time seeing it. I like to watch these things as part of the film year and part of the conversation, especially when something was, we had such hope for it and then it just yeah. let us down. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's way too long. Yeah. I, I, I'm the first hour I was like, this is unbelievably bad, way worse than I thought, but Hey, it's mm-hmm. what a privilege to watch something so goofy. And then it really did start to drag on and, yeah. and become unpleasant. All right. We still have a few things to talk about. Why don't you talk tick boom? Sure. Uh, yeah. So tick, tick boom is a musical by Jonathan Larson and it is adapted for the stage by Lin-Manuel Miranda, which is pretty cool. And we've got, Andrew for Garfield screen. for the, what did I say? A stage. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the, uh, it was a movie. It was a movie. The version I saw was definitely a movie. It was def- definitely a movie. Yeah. It, and, uh, by Jonathan Larson is played by Andrew Garfield, which is what a, what a winning performance. I thought that was, yeah, he, he's, he's pretty Amazing. awesome. Best thing about the movie, but not to give up. Way yeah. Hand. Yeah. Uh, oh, totally, totally. So this originally was kind of like a concerty staged theater thing that Larson himself starred in. Obviously, John- Jonathan Larson um, is the composer of Rent, who died tragically before its uh, the opening of its off-Broadway incarnation that would become the huge mega hit running a, a decade on Broadway. He never got to see his own success. And sort of similar to the characters in Rent, uh, Jonathan Larson had to, you know, supposedly <laughs> suffer for his art. I've got my own thoughts on that. But uh, Tick, Tick, Boom is a musical that he wrote kind of about his own creative process and about his own values. And I'll tell you, whenever this kind of, I don't want to say it came out because it came out before Rent, you know, when Larson himself performed it, but it kind of became of note after rent and after he died because people were more interested in his earlier work um i did not care for that cast recording i was not very interested in tick tick boom 
um, I believe that this um, screen adaptation is a lot more compelling and a lot more interesting. Um, I think Miranda really saw the the stuff he can relate to in this story, and he was able to visualize it on screen really well. Um, besides Andrew Garfield, who to me has the bulk of what's going on here, we have uh, Robin de Jesus as Michael, Jonathan's best friend. We have... Um, Where's Bradley Whitford as Stephen Sondheim and what an embodiment. It's so great. And there are all sorts of Broadway names up and down this uh, making cameos. There are composers of major note who are sitting in the musical theater workshop. This is a lot of fun for musical theater mega fans to kind of see their communion of saints um, coming together in a cool way. Um, what was your what was your take on uh, tick 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 boom? All right, so um, yeah, I I've never seen Rent. I know like the one song. I know that it's called what, Seasons of Love. I know that's not the title of it. Is not the number that they whatever. Right, um, it is called Seasons of Love. I have like a vague familiarity culturally with what Rent is, uh, and I just you know I didn't know Lin Manuel directed this until. I came up on the screen. Mm. So I just basically knew what it was about and that Andrew Garfield was in it and that it would be pertinent to our discussions. So I watched it in two large chunks. And um yeah, not so not having a lot riding on it, not not having a lot of anticipation or expectation, I just kind of took it in. And I thought the filmmaking was energetic and fun I, and probably and, and yet i had a feeling the whole time that it was maybe more than the material deserved uh likewise the lead performance i thought that andrew garfield was amazing at inhabiting this guy but I, again i couldn't shake the feeling of like to what end and then i i, I recognized i told you i recognized most of the broadway people um so i kind of got that this is just an opportunity for a celebration of um you know, an era of, of Broadway and, and there's some people from rent in it and some people who are legends and some people who knew him and whatever. So I appreciated it, but I felt like I was appreciating it as an outsider. The music never compelled or grabbed me. And, um, there were a couple songs that are memorable. Uh, Bradley Whitford's great. I guess my two favorite things about it are just the whole Garfield performance. And the moment that I figured out that was Judith light. Yes. Which was very late in the movie, uh, for me to figure that out. But uh, it, I had fun with it, and uh, but it just kind of also felt like it's not mine. Like you know, yeah, I I think that that is a fair a fair rundown. I don't like the score either. It's not my style. I don't like the story. I feel like that's very non compelling. Like really, that's your living as an impoverished artist. That place looks like a dream location to live in in new york city and you're like putting people down just because they want a job that makes them enough money to live and be comfortable and enjoy their life is that that seems like such a dated idea right um and why in the world would your girlfriend uh susan by the way played by alexander ship alexandra ship Mm -hmm. um why wouldn't she go take the job that she wants Why, why would she stay with you right um right you don't even seem like you like what you do that much. Right. Um, Very nineties in that way. So I guess, yeah, but it doesn't, yeah, it totally, totally. It might just be like a little bit of a relic of its time, considering that like, if it was written in the early nineties, that it's really reflective of the eighties, mm. you know? And for that, 
it's quite forward thinking because you weren't hearing music like that in the late 80s on Broadway. So I'm sure it seemed very fresh at the time. I think um, there's also the thing that the, the dirty truth about Rent that he pretty transparently plagiarized the story um, that was about um, queer people of color and he took it point for point, um, but just managed to make the two heroes uh, straight and white. Hmm. Um, so to make it more palatable for a commercial audience. And so there's a lot of critique there about um, how creative uh, Rent really was. And so we can't change that at this late date, but we can see it on its own terms. And I feel like uh, Lin-Manuel really elevated it and made it just kind of like this love letter and wink and hug to musical theater nerds um, who, for the story doesn't really matter as much as seeing all of these folks that you recognize as your little community of dreams um, coming together in, in a way that makes you feel happy. And I think the, and I think Garfield's performance is really great. Um, people are talking about, you know, Oscar stuff for that. I don't, I don't know that, that will hit with the Academy, especially with Netflix. But he he does about as good a job as I could imagine anyone doing with that part. Yeah, and there's a sense, again, even though I feel like an outsider, there's a warmness to it where you feel like, well, this is this is more than this material might deserve, but what a wonderful thing that mm-hmm. it's engendered. It's it's you know lived this long and that there's enough people who are that interested to bring it to life in this way. And should you know, would that anything lesser that I ever did got, you know, trotted mm-hmm. out so long after my death and treated this way. Uh, that's great. It feels like a success. Um, so I'm not sorry. I saw it. It's fun. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, all right. What's left. Oh, Julia, 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 Julia and power of the dog are left. Um, not much to say about Julia. I mean, I, I guess there's plenty to say about her. There's, but uh, the documentary Julia, says it. Yeah, it's, it's all there. So I'll just quickly um, oh, <laughs> Google. I Wikipedia Julia, and I got the page for the name, just the generic name Julia. Julia is a usually feminine given name. It's a oh. <laughs> name, feminine form of the name Julio. All right, uh, Julia film. Anyway, this is a CNN documentary about Julia Child, the famous uh, television chef of the late 70s, 80s, 90s, and uh, yeah, a lot of time, even though she wasn't really on television or famous till she was over 50. Um, I grew up very aware of her as a cultural meme, uh, but also just as a, a figure. I think, I think my parents watched her show, and um, her mission, of course, was to bring French cooking, French cuisine to America, and uh, at a time when American food was uh, pretty uh, gross and um, really centered around convenience and uh, efficiency and not around indulgence or enjoying food. At least the movie makes that case. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to go through the whole thing, but what I was really impressed with, I guess is Julia herself. She's just such a compelling figure. Mm-hmm. And be, this being a kind of effusive uh, CNN thing, of course it's going to be very, um, you know, it's very uh, fawning. But I really appreciated the sense of her life 
and of her, uh, her, her relationship with her husband. They met in the war and just an unexpected uh, sense of her sexuality and her youth that I thought was kind of like fascinating. And then this interesting story of how she became a celebrity at 50, this, you know, kind of lumbering, super tall lady. And uh, she was really good at teaching and in an entertaining way. And her legacy lives on in books and videos and food. And so I had a delightful time with this. I'm not sure it's like the most important thing to me, but uh, I don't know. I thought I smiled the whole time. I thought it was delightful. Yeah, it was super enjoyable. I I liked the historical elements. I liked the cultural narrative about how much we'd moved toward a processed, prefab, yucky (laughs) food land in the 50s and 60s and how stuff that we've come to take for granted as what good food is uh, had a lot to do with uh, her cultural influence and people learning to cook um, in a in a way that we look at and say, Oh yeah, that's how you make good food. Yeah. Yeah. Um, probably going to be easy to see this, you know, on cable or whatever. And, uh, I thought it was worth an evening in the theater. I had a good time with it. There's really, really nice, um, uh, B roll food footage. Yeah. That looks um, great. Really well done. Interesting choice of music. You know, everything's got to have, over the top needle drops now, but I thought that had a nice soundtrack and interviews some modern day chefs and celebrity food people and uh, altogether a nice package. And uh, if you're at all curious, it, I, I also, I guess I like also what it has to say about, of course, about, um, Oh, here's an interesting thing is that I know my parents will end up seeing this just because it's up their alley. And I, it's interesting that they'll be confronted with some political ideas that they might that might make them fidgety. Um, but, but more than that, bigger than just her proclivities, I just, just the idea of, of, of teaching of just kind of mass mass media teaching of a, of mm-hmm. a, of a woman in a profession and, and being not just uh, adept and not just accomplished, but be kind of becoming the face of, of this. And then the different ways that she used her clout and her, her reputation throughout her career, all that stuff I found to be very, very, uh, Nice. Yep, yep. nice. It's very nice. Okay. Uh, that leaves us, Dan, with The Power of the Dog, and I guess it, it falls to you. As it should. So The Power of the Dog, 2021 Western drama film, uh-oh, written and directed by Jane Campion, based on the novel of the same name by Thomas Savage. So we've got Benedict Cumberbatch playing Phil, and Jesse Plemons playing George. Phil and George are brothers in the Old West, and they come upon a restaurant as part of their, you know, ranching stuff and things. And the uh, restaurant is run by Kirsten Dunst, who plays Rose, and her son, Peter, played by Cody Smith McPhee. And George falls for Rose and gets married, and Phil begins to be jealous um, of what's going on with Rose. He seems fascinated by and also so hateful toward Peter. He constantly berates uh, his kind of more feminine posture. And we get the sense that Phil is um, compensating for something. And 
Um, boy, it's it's hard to describe this movie because to me it is in a lot of ways quiet and beautiful and also psychological and sadistic. Phil kind of t- continues to torture Rose as she moves into the household and Peter tries to defend his mother and yet um, sort of becomes awakened to what's going on with Phil and is able to use a little bit of who he is to uh, leverage um, some relief for his mother. And I loved the way the story unfolded. I didn't see where it was going, though it was all fair and in plain sight. Um, I was I was interested and surprised to the end. Uh, Campion is one of the greats. I don't know that I would have known that before this movie, though I've admired her work before. I think this is just one of the best movies of the year, uh, top-notch in every department, and I love to see it get all the accolades it's getting right now. What do you think of Power of the Dog? Yeah, well, here, here. Um, I'll just... I'll just uh, echo everything you've said. I quite agree as my experience too. And I guess um, I'll add that, yeah, I feel like I like a movie that's not, I like a movie that's confident and artistic in its vision and, and deliberate in its vision and does not hold your hand and is what it is but doesn't need to veer all the way into like art house, um, mm-hmm. you know, like obtuseness. It's not trying to be weird. It's just so confident in what it is. and so quiet and understated in what it is. It's not quite like verite to the level of like, come on, come on, which is just like a little moment, you know, moments and things. This is a story that has you know, themes and it has performances and it's like very driving on towards a point. But I agree with you that I did not know where it was going until it got there. And even though it seems obvious once it gets there. Um, yeah. Just, and I love that about it. It's, it's intentionality and it's uh, it's, it feels like a very complete vision. Yeah. I was worried things were going in a different direction with the rope mm-hmm. and that turned out to be not the way at all. Mm-hmm. And, I loved the way that it treated uh, Phil's sexuality because even though in one way he's a monster, he's also a little bit sympathetic. You see a humanness to him. Right. And you see um, the trauma that he's carrying and the impossible world he's living in. Mm-hmm. I like that they didn't try to define anything too much. Um, they're taking what they see in the novel, and I think that they're um, giving it a little bit more heft in this take. Right. Um in a way that I thought was very fair and empowering. I liked how Peter knows who he is and is almost kind of confident, you know, walking around while people are calling him a fag. And he doesn't, I mean, it's not like he's not bothered by it, mm-hmm. but he's also not trying to hide it or trying to change who he is. He's very confident. And I thought and, that was perceptive and interesting without being anachronistic. Yeah, I did right. that about it. Right. And then he was able to trade off of that in order to help his mother mm-hmm. in a really crafty and unexpected way mm. that, yeah, I just thought that there was something that was so fresh and contemporary about it while also seeming right for the time. Yeah. Um, performances are great across the board. Like Benedict Cumberbatch, like we know he's good, but this is playing against type in a whole new way. Mm-hmm. You didn't, you weren't watching him act, or at least I didn't feel like I was watching him act. I didn't feel like I was watching someone with a, you know, an English person 
trying to do an American right. Western sort of Southern accent. Um, it all just seemed very natural mm-hmm. coming from him. And yet he can play that um, softer, more sensitive side and secret. Yeah. He, he can play both sides and seem like it's one character. Mm-hmm. Um, very successful. And think, uh, Kirsten yeah. Dunst, great. Plemons. Yeah. I saw this stat about Jesse Plemons. He has been in a Best Picture nominee the last five years. Wow. And they, we were, they, they were wondering, is there any other actor who's done that? Interesting. Um, probably, but just yeah. people were like searching for that stat. Right. Yeah, he's always um, interesting, at least. Um, I think I messaged you early on. I, th- I had about like a couple of minutes where I struggled with Cumberbatch being so against type where I'm like, I can't not see him as sensitive, but mm. you quickly realize that that's kind of, he's playing layers. Mm-hmm. And so I realized what the movie's doing and that he's not, you know, wrong for it. And and also it helps that, as you say, he, he's not, he plays a, a bastard, but right. not a cartoon movie bastard. Like he, it, you really believe that a man, you know, this is how a manly macho guy would behave back then. And it's within, it's not, so ridiculous of you know that it torments you as the viewer like you just get it this movie it it's it, yeah i don't know it's doing just an it's doing more than enough to to get its point across without ever crossing into kind of melodrama or movie movie acting i don't know yeah it's, it's very it's very and that's got to be a really tight balancing act it looks effortless of course when it's done this well but this, you think of the the craft and the work that must have gone into. I, I mean, really, this couldn't be farther on the other end of the spectrum from House of Gucci. They're not trying to do similar things at all. But mm-hmm. you have, you know, a movie that is this movie's reaching heights of humanity and drama, um, without being showy or without you know, doing it completely within the. I don't know. It, it's a dumb point, but um, this when every aspect of a production is excellent this is what you get yeah and i think that it's a really i mean i did not read the novel so i don't know about the adaptation but i think it's a really great adaptation because they keep it so simple but Mm -hmm. the emotional layers are so complex and the whole theme about the dueling music where she's practicing and he's playing the banjo um if i remember correctly that's not in the novel that um, belongs to uh, Campion and Cumberbatch coming up with that in the course of filming. And to me, that that was such a successful way to convey to the audience his taunting her and torturing her, mm. yeah. um, where, where she can never have a moment of peace right. in, in this house that she's moved into because this, this um, towering figure is there. Yeah, and that's uh, that's really so much. It says so much about the power of cinema mm-hmm. that that scene says what would probably take several chapters in a book. Now, there's right. other arguments for literature over cinema. You know, that whatever. It's not either or. It's just that is the strength of cinema that artists can come up with a scene that that says all of that just about wordlessly. Mm-hmm. And the score's real good too. Yeah. Throughout. I just thought every every piece of music, every visual I mean the cinematography is a knockout, like the way they're able to capture that dusk blue sky. Everything just looks great. The moment of connection between um Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst, mm-hmm. where they where they're so grateful not to be alone mm-hmm. and, and they're dancing. It, it's 
it's just such a such a beauty. It's the second time they've played a married couple. Oh, what was the other? Season one or two of Fargo. Oh. They are a couple who's hiding a, a murder, I think. Uh, yeah. And Elizabeth Moss was to play her role, I saw. Mm. Interesting. Because she was listed as a, you know, came up as a Google cast member. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. what? How did I miss that? <laughs> but yeah. she, she couldn't uh, be in the production. And I think that um, Jesse Plemons was also a replacement, but I forget for who. Mm. Well, uh, it's, I think, to the movie's benefit. Not nothing against Elizabeth Moss, but it just worked out great. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's exactly what it should be. And, I mean, I guess yeah. as I'm talking about it, clearly it's my favorite of what I've seen so far. Hmm. You think of the year? Think this is top? I mean, I haven't seen everything yet, but right. I'm, not, I'm not one to put out a top ten list <laughs> right. before right. seeing everything. Yeah. But uh, right now, I think I would put it in the top of what I'd hmm. seen. Okay. It's a powerful dog. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I like a scripture title. Yeah. And you know what? Here's maybe this is just me being rusty, but I forgot that that was, that's to me, that sounds like the kind of thing that somebody would make up thinking that sounded like scripture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the power of the dog. But right. there it is. But yeah. That was interesting yeah. to me, too, that my darling from the power of the dog, that is how KJV renders it. Hmm. Um, and it's, it's the the Hebrew in that first part. Nobody quite knows what to do with it because they some just say my life from the power of the dog, mm-hmm. but it has this um, connotation of something that is so precious. You're you're one and only. Mm-hmm. You're it's not just your life. It's like that. It's your soul. It's your soul. Mm-hmm. It's like the innermost you, and thinking of how that is threatened by these forces outside of you, mm-hmm. and. Um, the the death that it takes to deliver you from the from the quote power of the dog. It's so interesting to contrast a film like that's excellent exegesis, by the way, and thank you for thank taking you. Me back to seminary in that moment. Thank and that you. takes me to thinking, just thinking about this as a revenge movie, which is very reductive and not a good way to describe it. Right. But just no. thinking about how many films go out of their way to be about you know flashy, intense cinematic revenge. And how a film like this treats something that just feels so real and so delicate and so not that, not that simple. I don't know. It just couldn't be farther away from where most movies are. Uh, And I'm grateful for it. Yeah. And in like a wild West, you know, as it's at the actual wild West, Mm -hmm. right. Where there's no rules. It's the frontier. If you need to kill someone, you just pull out your pistol and you do it. Right. And it's just kind of some rough frontier justice um, to see how the vengeance was doled out in a creative, controlled, um, hidden yeah. way. Right. And all the and all the pieces are there from the very beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. And I still was at the end like, oh, like I still was. And it's very simple. I wasn't like I was doing calculus. Right. It was simply just a beautiful careful telling of a story where everything comes together at the end and you're like oh i i see i Mm -hmm. see it that's good great film makes me want to go back and i've probably seen the piano but it's been so long i should i feel like going back and watching some yeah i just recently watched the piano Mm. it's real good holds up is this holds up (laughs) holds up (laughs) oh excellent we're back all right we're back but we're done um 
that's it. Anything else to say to your uh, to your listeners, Dan? That, that this was all I had to say. Okay. Great. Even now, I'm I'm saying more than I planned. Mm-hmm. I put you on the spot. I'm yeah. All right. Well, we talked for almost an hour, and those are movies, folks. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Jonah Rapino, for the music. I may or may not remember to put at the, uh, mm-hmm. the beginning of this recording. And we'll see you next time, where I guess we will have both seen West Side Story. Oh, yes. Yes. Everyone's yes. going nuts for it, such that I can't wait. I know. I, I It's not that I expected it to be bad. I just thought it was going to be, oh, Spielberg wants to do a musical. He wants to get it out of his system before he's, he's done. People saying that it's good and that it innovates and that it's got something to say. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's uh, really inspired to have Rita Moreno take over the doc role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I can't wait to see their Krupke, what they do with Krupke. I mean, oh, yeah, 20, that's, that's the main thing. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, thanks, everybody. Thanks, Dan. I bid you peace.